Well, I'll tell you what, I watch that, I don't know that I need to preach right now. That's the gospel. And that's powerful. When you hear that story from beginning to end, it really is a beautiful story, isn't it? God's plan to redeem us. Get your Bibles. I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. As you do that, I want you first of all just to get your Bible in front of you. Go ahead and turn to that chapter. Thank you for letting me be here today. Thank you for your support through the cooperative program that helps us as I serve with our 3,400 students at Southeastern Seminary, as I serve still with the International Mission Board and our 4,800 missionaries on the field. We get to do what we do because people like you give. So thank you for your your willingness to do so. I want you to get your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 5, then I want you to do this for me. I want you just to look at your Bible. I just want you to have your Bible in front of you. I want you to answer two quick questions for me, and they're very simple. Well, the first one's simple. I want you to get in your mind the number of people in your house today. All right, the number of people in your house today. So the number of people in your family today. That one's easy, right? You got that. So get that number in your mind. Then I want you to second, try to get in your mind the number of Bibles in your home today. So on one hand, the number of people. The second hand, the number of Bibles in your home today. So I want you to guess for a minute. How many copies of the Word of God do you have in your home today? And my sense is, and if your story is like my story, most of us have more Bibles in our home than we have human beings. Yes or no? Yeah, that's the case. And I'm reminded that, that billions of people in the world today have no access to this word. I'm reminded of people with whom I've been around the world who will ride their bike for days to get to a place where they can just hear the Bible taught. Or they'll get on public transportation and travel as far as they need to travel just to see a copy of the Word. And you know what? You and I are really blessed. You and I are really blessed to have the entirety of the Word of God in our language, in front of us. And I have the privilege today of opening this Word and proclaiming this Word without threat of my life. I, I do this without fear. We gather together without fear. Now, I don't know if that will always be the case, but it is the case today. And I can take you to places in the world where that's not the case, where our brothers and sisters will gather and worship God, and they will do so knowing that doing so is a threat on their life. So as we gather to worship God and open His Word, we certainly cannot take that for granted. This is God's gift to us to let us do this, right? So let's look at his word. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Story of two people facing very difficult times in their life whose lives intersect. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. 
And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Now stop there and let me just point out a couple of things here. Note, first of all, in verse 21, that the text says a great crowd gathered around Jesus. And then verse 24 says the same thing. A great crowd followed him. When you see that kind of repetition in the scripture, you want to capture that picture. And so get that picture. Jairus has come to Jesus. His daughter is dying. So he says, please come touch my daughter so that she will get well and live. Jesus agrees to go, and there's this great crowd pressing against him, and then there is an interruption in verse 25. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She'd heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So that story ends. And then that first story picks up in verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Now, she has died. His point is not that she hasn't died. His point is that this story is not over. Verse 40, look at what they did. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Just a couple of weeks ago, we got word of the tragic death of one of our missionaries. She and her family had been serving the Lord in Italy. They'd been there for a number of years. Young lady. Her husband was one of my students at Southern Seminary. He became one of my student associates, very close to us, a great friend of ours. In fact, he had been in our home just three weeks before came from, from Georgia to Wake Forest, North Carolina, just to hang out with us. We just love him. And in a very tragic automobile accident, his wife was killed instantly, and he now is faced with the reality of raising three little girls, a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old without a, without a mommy. Well, I hear that word, and I'm going to be really frank with you. My faith was hit hard. Because it's easy, it's easy to talk about, here's how you trust God when the issues aren't yours. 
And even Reed is his name. Reed's issue, the loss of his wife, is not my issue. But it's close enough. When, when the tragedy is close to somebody you love, sometimes your faith gets rocked a little bit. True? And as much as I want to say, it was easy for me to say, we just have to trust God in these days. I, I got to tell you, I spent a lot of hours asking God why. And I still ask why a little bit. I don't understand. I don't understand why tragic things happen to people who walk with God. I don't get why God allows such things to happen. Sometimes life just smacks us in the face. And thus, for me... I'm driven back to the simplicity of the scriptures. Back to the simple story like these stories in Mark chapter 5. Two intersecting lives of people who face tragic times in their life. And what I love about the scriptures is the scriptures just come to life for us and they speak across the cultures and they speak across the ages and they speak to us that when our faith struggles, the word just grounds us again. And that's what I want us to think about today. When life is difficult, how do we get grounded in the word again? I want to unpack these two stories a ruler of the synagogue whose daughter is dying, a woman who is unnamed, been sick for 12 years. And from them we learn how to trust God in difficult times. So if you've got your pencil, you've got your notes there, here's point number one. How do we trust God in difficult times? We must come to Jesus. We must come to Jesus. Now I want you to, I want you to get into the story with me. I want you to let the story come to life for you. I want you to imagine with me, first of all, this woman. We know very little about her from this text. We don't know her name. We're not given that information. We know nothing about her family. We're not given that data. What we know, however, is not good. What we know is that for 12 years, she's had a blood disease. For 12 years, she's been bleeding. This is likely a female problem, likely a menstrual problem. It's quite possible that it made her infertile. And so, in that case, she's bleeding, which would have made her unclean in her culture, so she would not have been welcomed in a place like this. She couldn't have gathered with us to worship. And if she were childless, that would have been a desperate state for a first century woman. And we read from this text that she has gone to all the doctors, and she is no better. In fact, she's worse. Well, I envision, I imagine the days when she got up, and she had a little bit of hope in the morning... And she thought to herself, well, I'll go to this doctor and maybe he has an answer. And away she goes and the doctor treats her and she is no better. The next morning she awakens again and maybe this doctor has an answer and still no answer. And then the next day another doctor, just maybe today I'll be cured and this doctor has no answer. And for 12 years she has gone through this drill For 12 years, she has spent all of her money and she is worse than she's ever been. And surely when we see her in this story, her life has become one of despair and discouragement and depression and defeat. And surely she wondered, why should today be any different? Why should today be any different? 
Well, I wonder if you know anybody like this woman who got up this morning without hope, who got up this morning wondering, will today be any different? There are people like that all over this city, all over this county, all over this state, all over our continent and all over the world. In fact, what we see all over the world are people trying to solve these dilemmas by going to false gods. And here's this woman. Why should today be any different? And then here's Jay Iris. He's quite different from this woman. She's an outcast from the culture. He's a leader. He's a leader of the synagogue. She is unnamed. He is named. It's likely that his future was bright until we read this word that his 12-year-old daughter lay dying. We don't know all the background of this story. We don't know how long she's been sick. I imagine again, imagine the day when he first held that baby girl in his arms and he, he just thanked God for her life. And I imagine the day when she first got sick and, and daddy paced the floor hoping she would get better. And I can imagine the day when she was so sick and daddy had to come to face the reality that even he couldn't fix her this time. And thus we see two people whose lives had just smacked them into reality. A woman who has been sick for a long time. A father whose daughter is dying. And what do you do when life hits you this way? Here's what this woman did. Here's what Jairus did. They came to Jesus. This woman did. The text says that she'd heard the reports about Jesus in verse 27. So somebody's talking about Jesus. Somebody's saying something about Jesus. Come, see this man. I've heard that he can, he can touch the lame and they walk again. I've heard he can, he can touch the deaf and they hear again, the blind, they see again. I've even heard that he can raise the dead, and so maybe you need to get to him. I ask you this morning, who in this city will come to Jesus because you're talking about him? Because you can't help but speak about how good he is. Somebody was talking about Jesus, and thus this woman thinks, if I can just get to him, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, maybe he can do what no other doctor can do. Jairus thinks, if I can just get to him, and if Jesus can get to my daughter before she dies, Jesus, come and touch her so that she will get well and live. If Jesus can get there on time, then he can do something. The point is simply this. We must come to Jesus when life is hard. You see, I think sometimes when life is really hard and our faith is rocked, it's easier to run from Jesus than to Jesus. These stories remind us that when life is difficult, we can read any book we want to read. We can do all the Google searches we want to do. We can talk to anybody we want to talk to. But at the end of the day, there's still one answer, and that's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There's still one answer. So we must come to Jesus. If life is tough for you today, and you're this close to saying, God, I'm just forgetting all of it, I plead with you, come back to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Here's, here's number two. We must believe that God is at work even when we cannot see his hand. We must believe that God's at work even when we cannot see his hand. It's it's the beauty of the scripture again, letting us get into the heart of the characters of the story. So walk with me again into this situation. Jairus, his daughter's dying. He must get to Jesus. 
So he gets there to Jesus and he says, please come and touch her so that she will get well and live. So he has some level of faith in Jesus that if Jesus can get there and touch his daughter, then Jesus can heal her. But there's also a sense of his thinking, you've got to get there before she dies. If you can get there and touch her. So there's a real sense of urgency here. We got to get there. Will you come touch my daughter and come and lay hands on her so that she may be made well and live? And the text says Jesus went off with him. But the text also tells us that there's this great crowd pressing against Jesus. And I, I envision the picture of this crowd moving along. Jairus surely was in the front because it's his daughter dying. And he's surely saying, we've got to get a move on. Let's go, let's go, let's get there. And this woman interrupts the whole thing. This woman somehow snakes her way through the crowd. Remember, she's unclean. She's doing what she was not supposed to do. In her desperation, she says, I've got to get to Jesus. So she makes her way to him. She touches just the hem of his garment, another gospel writer tells us, and it stops Jesus in his tracks. And he says, who touched me? Now, we'll come back to that in just a second. He draws this woman out. She's afraid. She comes fearing and trembling. I'm the one who did this. And Jesus begins a conversation with her that will end with his saying to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. That Jesus saves her and heals her. Now tell me this. Here's Jesus carrying on this conversation with this woman. If you're Jairus over here and your daughter's dying, are you getting a little bit antsy? You're getting a little stressed because your faith is such that Jesus has to get there on time. In fact, what happens? Jesus spends so much time with this woman that they come from the home of J. Iris and they say, Jim, your daughter has died. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. Don't trouble the teacher. The story's over. And the most logical thing for Jairus to do here is to go home and bury his daughter and grieve with his wife. Because Jesus just didn't get there in time. Except listen to what Jesus said to him. Verse 36 says, But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. Here's what he says to him. He overheard, and the word actually says, ignored. He ignored what they said when they came from the home of Jairus, and he gives these words to Jairus. Look, you just keep believing. Don't be afraid. Well, think with me about how illogical that is. His daughter has died. And Jesus says, no, don't worry. Just keep believing. Why would he say that? Why would he say that to Jairus? Well, here's why. Jesus knows what Jairus cannot know. He is well aware that though this story seems to be at an end, it's about to have a new beginning. He is aware that though this story has become a story of death, it's about to become a story of life. And he is aware that though it seems like God has not met the need, he is aware that the Father is still working. He's aware that God's still up to something. And because Jesus knows that, he says to Jairus, I'm telling you, Jairus, you just keep believing. 
What he's saying really is, Jairus, you're going to have to see what you cannot see. You're going to have to see beyond what you do see. And what do we call that, by the way? Seeing what we do not see. That's faith. So you're just going to have faith. You're going to have to have faith that though everything you see says this story has ended and everything you see says this is nothing but tragedy, you're going to have to believe that somewhere behind the scenes, God is still working. That's tough when life is hard, isn't it? Because you see, when life is hard for us, we get our sights focused on the circumstances, not on the God who is bigger than the circumstances. We get focused on the problem and forget that God is in control. And Jesus says the same thing to us. Just keep believing. Just keep believing. I learned this as God worked in my little brother's life. My little brother is a phenomenal man of God. I adore him. God is just working through him. But for a number of years, he he was not. For a number of years, we were going in different directions. I was pastoring a church in Ohio, and my little brother was getting strung out on alcohol and drugs. And we prayed for him, we prayed for him, we prayed for him, we prayed for him. And it seemed like the more we prayed, the worse it got. You ever been there? You might be there now, praying for somebody. You're praying for somebody and your heart's broken over that person and it seems like the more you pray, it's like God isn't listening. And the enemy says, just give up. When we prayed and and my little brother was just getting messed up more and more and the more I'd hear, the worse it got. And to my great surprise, one Sunday, I was getting ready to preach in my church in Ohio and in the door came my little brother and his wife and and my niece, and sat in the second row of our church. I preached all the while thinking, what are you doing here? How'd you get here? The end of the service, we had a response time before we ever sang a word. Out they came and said, we want to follow Jesus. And God dramatically and radically transformed my little brother. God freed him from addictions. God moved in him in such a way called him to himself, changed his heart. You know what my little brother's doing today? He's a North American mission board missionary in Ohio, reaching people who need Jesus, working among the underprivileged, working among multi-housing units, and God's just using him. After the service, I, I talked to him. I said, tell me, tell me what's going on. I'm, I'm shocked you're here. I'm even more shocked that you've made a decision to follow Christ. So there's my faith struggle. And they began to tell me how God had been working in their lives, that they would read a book and think about God, and they'd watch a television program and think about God, and people coming across their life who would direct them to God. And all the while that I was giving up, God was working. And what God showed me that day is simply this. When God is doing his work, he is under no obligation to let us in on the details. True? You know why that's true? Because he's God and we're not. It's really that simple. When life is hard and all we see are the mountains that we have to climb, here's what God says to us. Trust me. Trust me. Just keep believing. We must believe that God's at work 
even when we cannot see his hand. Let's go to point number three. Point number three, we must believe that nothing gets in God's way. We must believe that nothing gets in God's way. I again want you to see the, the picture here. Let, let the gospel stories, the narrative, become real to you. Because in this story are these striking parallels. Crowds in the story of Jairus. A crowd in the story of the woman. A girl who is 12 years old, who is raised from the dead. A, a woman who has been sick for 12 years, who has made a daughter. There's so many things that the writer brings together here as the word just becomes life for us. Well, this crowd is here. Crowd number one, here is this woman. She's hurting. She's desperate. She needs to get to Jesus. But the crowd's there. Remember twice in the first few verses that we read, the text tells us there's a great crowd jostling up against Jesus. This woman finally gets to him. She touches his garment and Jesus stops and says, who touched me? His disciples ask the logical question, Master, look around. Look at all these people. Look at all these people pressing up against you. How in the world can we tell you who touched you? Ah, but you see, Jesus knows who touched him. He's not asking a question because he doesn't know. He's asking a question because he wants to draw this woman out. What I want you to see is this. This woman, hurting and desperate, reaches out and touches the garment of Jesus, and he does not miss her touch. Doesn't matter how many people are pressing up against him. This woman cries out to him in faith, and Jesus stops for her. Because no crowd gets in our God's way. What I love about that is this. I think about believers all around the world. And I'm privileged in my IMB role to travel, see what our missionaries are doing, to see how God's working in every continent in the world. And I think about all the believers right now, this moment that might be praying to God from around the world and just lifting their hearts to the throne of God. And here's what I see in this text. It doesn't matter how many people are praying to God. When you and I reach out to him in faith, in all of our desperation, God hears our cry and he feels our touch as if we were the only one in the world praying to him right then. That's who our God is. Crowds don't get in the way of our God. Well, then you come forward to the home of J. Iris and there's a crowd there. Here's verse 38. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. Do you know who they were? You may know that in the first century, it was customary to hire professional mourners. There are people who made a living crying at funerals. They would go from funeral to funeral, and they would weep. And the more important you were in the community, the more likely it is you hired a number of mourners. Well, J. Iris was a ruler of the synagogue. So he's hired his people, and they're there, and they are earning their keep when Jesus gets there. They're making commotion. And surely there are family members mixed in that, so there's legitimate grief and there's false grief. And Jesus says to them, why are you carrying on like this? The girl's not dead, she's asleep. Again, he's not denying her death. He's simply saying, this is temporary. Do you remember what they did when Jesus said that? Here's what verse 40 says. And they laughed at him. Look at how quickly they can change their emotions. They're weeping one moment, the next moment they're laughing. How do you do that? You know how? They're doing it for a living. They laughed at Jesus, which, by the way, is not a smart thing to do. They laugh at Jesus, and the text says, he put them all outside. 
He put them all outside. I love that text because the word there in the original is the same word used for exorcism. So when Jesus put them out, he cast them out. He cast them out not unlike he would cast a demon out of a human being. So with the same kind of righteous anger and the same kind of godly force that Jesus took on demons, he said to the people in the home of Jairus, you get out of my way because I've got work to do. And in he went to the room and he said to the little girl, little girl, I say to you, get up, arise. She did. Why? Because this is the son of God who has power over death. You see, nothing gets in our God's way. Now, that shouldn't surprise us. Think about the stories we know of the scriptures. Think about the stories we saw in the video. Think about some of those things that point us to the power of God. I think about God's bringing his people to the Red Sea. And there they stood with the sea in front of them and the Egyptian army coming after them. They were struck with fear and said to Moses, why have you brought us here? Aren't there enough graves in Egypt? Tell me, was that a problem for God? Oh, God just rolled the waters back and took his people across on dry ground. Then came the Egyptian and God collapsed the waters in judgment. As God portrayed deliverance of his people that we'll see through Jesus. I think about God's bringing his people to the walled city of Jericho. It's a fortified city. Shut up. Nobody coming in. Nobody going out. Was that a problem for God? God simply said to his people, here's the deal. Walk like I tell you to walk. Do what I tell you to do. And the walls will come down and down they came because walls don't get in the way of our God. I think about Daniel in the lion's den. The king puts him there. The prophet facing the lions. Was that a problem for God? No, you know what? God made the lions. So he just clamps their jaws shut and protects his prophet because nothing gets in the way of our God. I think about a Philistine giant. You know his name, Goliath? Nobody will fight him. He's nine feet, nine inches tall. He wears armor that weighs 125 pounds. The head of his spear weighs 15 pounds and he strikes fear in the heart of the Israelite army. Nobody will come after him. But is that giant a problem for God? No, he raises up a shepherd boy who takes him down because nothing gets in the way of our God. Then I come all the way forward to the gospel story. I come all the way forward to a borrowed tomb outside the walled city of Jerusalem where Jesus Christ, you saw it on the video, has been crucified and now buried. And the demons surely rejoice, but is that a problem for God? Now, you know the rest of the story. God just rolls the stone away to show us that his son isn't there because even death doesn't get in the way of our God. When I remember that, when I remember that, there's a peace that comes when I think about a missionary who loses her life at 30 years old. When I grieve over that death, here's what I know. Death doesn't get in the way of our God. Nothing gets in the way of our God. Friends, I don't, I don't know what you face in life today. I don't know what you will be facing. It could be that life is smooth for you today. It could be that the mountain is still to come. It could be that the valley will hit you tomorrow. In a moment's notice, life completely changes. 
I don't know what you're facing. I don't know how high the mountain is, how deep the valley is, but this I do know, God's bigger. God's bigger. So we have to believe that nothing gets in our God's way. We've got to come to Jesus. We've got to believe God's working, even when we cannot see his hand. We've got to believe that nothing gets in his way. And then finally, here's number four. We must trust him to meet our needs. We must trust him to meet our needs. Look with me at verse 42 of Mark chapter 5 again. Jesus said to the little girl, get up. Verse 42 says, and immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. They were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them, no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. Now, he told them first, don't go tell anybody. Because in Mark's gospel, there's a time and a place where he wants all of this revealed. This is not the time, but Matthew tells us what they did. What do you suppose they did? They went and told everybody. Because you can't help but tell when Jesus rocks your world. So they go tell. But then he said, give her something to eat. That's how the story ends. I envision the picture again. Family rejoicing. Think about this. Their daughter was dead and now she's alive. Surely their hands are in the air. Surely some are at the feet of Jesus just holding on to him. Surely they're weeping with joy. In the midst of all that positive commotion, Jesus says, give the girl something to eat. Now, why would he do that? Why would he do that? I think there are two reasons. One, he's validating the miracle. See, when he says, give her something to eat, here's what he's saying. This is not a ghost. She's not a figment of your imagination. It's not your grief overcoming you. This is your daughter. She's really alive again. She has a physical body. She's hungry. Give her something to eat. So he proves the miracle when he says, feed her. But there's something else that struck me some time ago. Think about this logically. Why would he say give her something to eat unless he knows what about her? She must be what? Hungry. She must be hungry. Listen to this picture. The same Jesus who in Mark's gospel can speak to the waves and they stop. The same Jesus who can speak to demons and they flee. The same Jesus who has power in himself that when even his garment is touched, a woman is healed. The same Jesus who can take care of the sick. The same Jesus who can speak to a dead girl and give her life again. The same Jesus who is the God of resurrection knows precisely when my belly grumbles because I'm hungry. You know what? That's amazing to me. He made it all. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he knows what's going on inside my belly. He knows when I'm hungry. You know what he does? He meets our needs. Doesn't he? He meets our needs. In the toughest times, he comes through. Now, does that mean he always meets our needs like we think he should? 
Not necessarily. Doesn't mean he comes through in the timing that we think is the right timing. Not necessarily. But he reminds us all the time, again, that he's God and we're not. But I suspect that some of us sitting here this morning can look back across life and remember those toughest mountains and those deepest valleys. And you can look back now and say, but God was there. Yes? But God was there. Because he knows exactly what we need. And when he knows my belly's hungry, he provides what I need. He's a good God, yes? He's a God worthy of our praise. He's a God worthy speaking about. So I want to challenge you today. Are you, are you facing a tough time in life? Are you this close to turning your back on God? I would plead with you, don't run from, run to God. Ask God to give you faith to believe that he's working even when you cannot see it. Trust that nothing you face is bigger than God. Trust God to meet your needs. And I don't know, maybe, maybe you need to pray with somebody. In a moment, we're going to have a time of response. And I would invite you, if you need one of your pastors just to pray with you, come and let them know that. I'd be happy to pray with you. I want you to trust this God. Or maybe, maybe there's somebody in your life who's, who's facing these same issues. Life's tough for them. But if you're honest, you've not been interceding for them like you should be. You've not been praying for them. That God would draw, him to, draw, draw them to himself in the midst of their pain. You want to help them. You can do everything you can do. But you haven't been praying like you should be. Or maybe you've been praying for somebody and you're this close to giving up because you wonder if God's listening. I pray that God renews your faith today. Or perhaps today you don't even know this Jesus. You've heard his story, but if you're honest, you don't know him personally. He's not your savior. The Bible tells us that if we turn from our sin and trust Jesus, we repent that's turning from our sin and we trust this story we trust him that God can forgive us and make us his children and there are people all over this room today who would say to you it's the greatest decision they ever made in their life if you need Jesus today this church invites you to follow him come to Jesus believe God's working even when you cannot see his hand trust that nothing gets in God's way trust him to meet our needs Let's pray together. So we pray and prepare for a time of response. Let me ask you, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I go back to a simple story today because it's that simple story, those simple truths that strengthen the rock of my faith and I hope the rock of your faith I wonder if you'd be willing to say to me brother Chuck today the truth is I'm, I'm hurting and life is hard and I just need to know that my church family is, is praying for me and so I wonder if you would do me this favor with nobody looking around please I wonder if you just raise your hand and by that say I just need my church family to pray for me would you do that for me and let us pray just raise your hand and let us thank you thank you Thank you. All right, church family.
And you have brothers and sisters in this room who said, I just need my family praying for me. Would you do that right now? Would you do that right now so that they can walk out of here with renewed faith and renewed strength? Let me ask you to stand with me for prayer. And I'm going to lead us in prayer. And then we'll sing together. And as, as we sing, you come. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we have it here in our language. I thank you that you, you drill it into our hearts through the power of the Spirit. I pray especially today for these who raise their hands, the men and women in this room who are just struggling. Lord, I don't know what they're facing, but I know you do. And I also know that you're bigger than whatever they're facing. So, Lord, we lift them up as, as the church family. We intercede for them that you would give them your strength, that you would say to them clearly in their hearts, don't fear, only believe. That, God, you would give them glimpses of your presence and glimpses of your glory, that they would see your hand. And, Lord, even when your hand is not that clear, they would trust you. I pray right now, Father, that where the enemy wants to drag us away from you, wants to defeat our faith, I pray right now that the enemy will not win in this place. And so, God, as you draw us to yourself, as you call us to respond in whatever way, to pray with the pastor, just to pray at this altar, to give our life to you, whatever you wish for us, Father, give us faith to respond in accordance with your will. In Christ's name we pray, amen.